Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm really excited about tonight. We've got a guest that is a blast from our past, and it's been a long time since we've had him here on mic with us, and I can't wait to get into that section of the interview tonight. But uh, before we get to that, we always have to move things along, and that means bringing in Sam Bradley, who is the grease to the wheels of the Disaster Podcast. Hey, Sam. <laughs> I like that one, Jamie. Well, you know, we here in Colorado, and I look at the radar maps, it's like all of this weird weather is to the west and the south and the east of us. It's almost like we're in this little cone of resistance here. But, man, the rest of the country is really taking a hit. So, Dan DePodwin, what's going on with that? Uh, Sam, yeah, it's been a very... Uh... I would say it's been a very active early, you know, first half of July here with a lot of different types of impactful weather from the what is becoming uh, close to all-time record heat that's been baking the southwest um, places such as Las Vegas and Phoenix, uh, Death Valley closing in on maybe 130 uh, coming up, I believe. Uh, it's really been a, a hot and dry time out there. It does get hot this time of year in the southwest, but we're talking about close to, if not breaking some all-time records out of the uh, desert southwest, which is certainly newsworthy. And whether or not it's a dry heat or it's humid, uh, even a dry heat at 120 is enough to really cause problems. So that's been the news story out west. Uh, that heat's going to build into the middle of the country next week, places like Texas into um, maybe even by you, Sam. It's been hot there, but it may even turn a little hotter. Uh, next week in parts of Oklahoma, Kansas as well. And the other story has been the rounds of severe thunderstorms from um, the front range of Colorado out to the east uh, through the plains and Midwest. Uh, and then we obviously have to note the significant flooding, really historic flooding in some cases that took place in parts of the Northeast last weekend. Uh, Eastern Pennsylvania received uh, five inches of rain in just uh, you know 12 hours or so. And then that, that, that continued up through the Hudson Valley in New York. And the worst hit probably is Parts of the Hudson Valley, and then especially Vermont, uh, that was the worst flooding in parts of Vermont since uh, Hurricane Irene back in 2011. And uh, you get any type of rain that's heavy in mountainous terrain, and it really um, amplifies the effect of just you know two, three, four inches of rain in a short amount of time can cause significant flash flooding, and that's what we saw last Sunday. Unfortunately, it looks like a pretty wet weather pattern in the Northeast here uh, Saturday into Sunday too. Again here this weekend, and that can cause continued issues, maybe not in the exact same places, but uh, definitely going to be uh, uh, on and off storminess in the uh, Northeast here through the weekend. So plenty of weather to talk about here in July. The only thing we really haven't talked about is hurricanes, and we haven't had any yet really from an impactful standpoint. And that is typical this time of year. We don't really start to see the peak. You know, the season doesn't really ramp up until later August into September, but we've been quiet so far in the U.S. with uh, tropical systems. Well, I think you said the H word that's probably making Kelly shiver, but we'll get to him in a second. Any uh, Anything to add on, Becky? Nope, I think Dan covered it pretty well. <laughs> I am not in touch with the weather these days. <laughs> but you have him, what the heck. So exactly. our guest tonight is one of our favorite people, Jamie and I have known for probably 15 years, Kelly Grayson. And if you're at all involved in EMS, you probably know that name, um, and I got to tell you, I love I love his very short Amazon bio, so I have to share that. Kelly Grayson is a highly regarded critical care paramedic with a national reputation, award-winning EMS 
columnist, author, and popular public speaker. When he isn't prowling to see me under Bellary of the city looking for little old ladies who've fallen and can't get up, Kelly fancies himself a fiction novelist who brings warmth, humanity, occasional profanity, and an abiding sense of whimsy to his writing. One day, he hopes to be a retired paramedic and a full-time novelist who spends his hard-earned royalty checks on brown liquor, guns, and a woman who tolerates his shenanigans with a minimum of eye-rolling. So, <laughs> and, he's, and we have to mention, Kelly's in New Orleans, so that's why we kind of mentioned hurricanes. Uh, there you go. So, anything you want to add to that, Kelly? No, no, I'm uh, I'm I'm here in in coastal Louisiana, uh, stewing in my own juices. Um, when I'm uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to sit in the air condition and and move as little as possible. I hear you. How long how long is it or how hard has it been down there? Because uh, well, I I work in one of the five most humid cities in the United States, uh, in the Lake Charles, Louisiana area. Uh, it's it's moist. You can see the air most of the days. Um, uh, yesterday, I think it got up to 93. Uh, we we've had temperatures in the 93 to 95 degree range for the last I don't know couple of weeks, uh, and the temperature in the uh, uh, or the the humidity at its peak is in the high 80s. Um, we call the summertime pattern around here uh, 90 by nine. It's 90 degrees and 90% humidity by 9 a.m. most days. <laughs> and uh, But my big news is, is I'm about to get out of this. I'm about to move the exact opposite uh, about 30 miles from the Canada border. I, I'm taking over a teaching position at Clarkson University in Potsdam, New York, and I'm going to be living in upstate New York within spitting distance of Canada. So <laughs> no more wow. heat for me. Oh, that'll be quite a change. Jamie, you had a question. Yeah, well, that was the question was you're going to get away from all that heat and humidity, but I want to know what Kelly Grayson's going to do with a snow shovel in hand because you're going to need one. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, people, people have warned me about the, the snow shovel coronary and, and that sort of thing. And I said, well, it can't be any worse than, than the yard mowing heat stroke. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm, I'm quite prepared for it. You, you guys have met me. I'm a pretty big boy, so I, I'm like a polar bear wearing a fur coat in the, in the summertime in Louisiana. Anyway, I'm ready for some for some uh, for some cold. Actually, I actually like the cold weather. I'm a hunter at heart, and I love getting out in the below freezing temperature. And, and uh, my motto is: you can always put on more clothing, but you you can't always take enough off. And still avoid a felony. So <laughs> that's that's very true. That's why I moved to Colorado. Thank you very much. Well, I want to talk about your books, and I, I didn't realize okay. your books. But when I, I went to Amazon, I had no idea you have written so many different things. I mean, obviously there's EMS books, there's EMS textbooks, you have a number of anthologies, but you have some that are of particular interest. I gotta know about Cecil the Combat Wombat. <laughs> um, I just, I, I like to try my hand at, at different genres. And uh, I, I take a page out of, out of Jamie Davis's book and try to, uh, and try to, uh, 
um, employ a sense of whimsy in my writing and 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 stretch my stretch my legs as as it were, um, and and write about the supernatural and urban fantasy and, and high fantasy and 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 Cecil the Combat Wombat was my foray into military sci-fi. I've got a friend who is uh, my my erstwhile publisher of uh, I've been in a number of his anthologies. Uh, a guy named uh, Ian McMurtry of Raconteur Press. And he is starting a, he's kind of writing the Bible, uh, the canon for the uplifted uh, sentient animal universe. Um, and uh, I I wanted initially to to submit a, a story for an anthology there, and he wasn't quite ready for it yet. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to do this on my own and, and kind of see how it goes. So the idea is that Cecil is a not Tom, a sergeant in the Australian Army in the year 2225, in the midst of an Aboriginal rebellion that's been fomented by uh, uh, outside interests, the Soviets, and and some uh, some shadowy individuals. And Cecil is part of the first group of sentient, uplifted wombats uh, who have been genetically modified and and uh, genetically engineered to be uh, to be sentient and to walk upright. They've had some other uh, body modifications, and their role in their army is uh, is tunnel rats. Although they hate the word tunnel rats, they prefer covert subterranean marsupial. <laughs> so I tried to write Cecil as as uh, from the perspective of a world weary uh, sergeant noncom who's just trying to get through his day and survive combat. And stay out of the out of the crosshairs of the idiot lieutenant who is is giving him orders and trying to keep this this butter bar in line. Uh, and uh, one of the the secondary characters in the story is a uh, is his corporal Ian McMurtry. <laughs> I had to tuckerize my my publisher there. Uh, Ian is a uh, is a corporal and a card carrying member of the E four Mafia. He's uh, he's one of those those corporals who. Uh, has a jillion connections in the in the uh, armed services and can get things done and and pretty much uh, can circumvent any rule uh, he chooses. So did that one. Uh, Cecil has has gotten a lot of uh, a lot of interest and people have really enjoyed it. And and uh, the sequel to Cecil the Combat Wombat, uh, where I introduce uh, some sexy uplifted mongooses. It's coming out uh, in late August. It's called Cecil the Combat Wombat, the Warren Bungle Campaign. I think you drink a little too much of that whiskey. I, I, I do, well, you know, funny you should mention that. I, I usually have an open shiner box next to the keyboard. Uh, that seems like that's where all my best ideas come from. Well, we've been known that Dr. Joe and I have a glass of wine every once in a while. But the other one that sort of falls into this, this is, sounds like a Jamie book to me, but it, it seems as though it's the first of a series called Kindred, the Some Dude Chronicles. And yeah. this, is a, this is a cute little thing here. In the Dakota Territory, a U.S. Marshal haunted by his past works desperately to discover who is behind a weaponized smallpox plague and stop an incipient Sioux rising. Now, there's a, there's a combination of things. A Serbian policeman at war with terrorists as well as his own conflicting loyalties races against the clock to Sarajevo to stop the terrorists intent on setting off World War I. 
A gifted New Orleans paramedic, that's interesting, uh, finds himself embroiled in the bloody drug cartel wars on the U.S.-Mexico border, battling a new kind of plague he does not understand. And here's the Jamie part. All three men have two things in common, the archangel that rests besides in their heads and the fallen angel they're pursuing. It's a battle as old as time with the fate of mankind hanging in the balance. What say you, Kelly? That's, that's my somewhat grandiose description of the Some Dude Chronicles. Um, you know, it, it's been a back from from the days of when I was was blogging heavily, the early days of my blog, and and uh, when when I was appearing on Jamie's podcast and the EMS Garage and such, there was a running joke about some dude. Some dude is that evil criminal mastermind who is responsible for so much of the uh, of the havoc that we see in in public safety and and healthcare. Uh, you ask. Uh, an unwed mother who's her baby daddy, and she says, some dude, uh, hey, man, who beat you up? Some dude. Where'd you get the drugs? Some dude. Uh, some <laughs> I, never, dude. I didn't get that. I didn't catch that. Yeah, and, and some dude also opens a, uh, owns a brewery. It's called Two Beers Brewery, uh, and everybody drinks two beers before something, uh, something bad happens. So I had written a couple of, uh, uh, a couple of uh, short stories from a blog about some dude. Uh, and the conceit was that some, some dude was an actual entity. He was a he was a demon that was able to inhabit the bodies of, of hapless people or assume their shapes and wreak all sorts of havoc uh, in their uh, in their uh, identities and then leave them hanging uh, hanging and holding the bag. And I got to thinking uh, when I started writing full time that uh, I, I really need to write the Some Dude novel. Everyone had been urging me to, to, to novelize this. So Some Dude needed an adversary. So Kindred is the adversary, and I, don't, I won't reveal his actual name. and It's revealed at the end of the book. But uh, um, the, the story goes that Some Dude is a fallen angel, Azazel, who can, who can inhabit people's bodies, most people's bodies, against their will, uh, but the the uh, archangel sent to contest him and, and banish him back to hell cannot mess with free will. So he has to enter into a host agreement with uh, with human beings, and they have to willingly accept him. Um, so it's more of a partnership than, than anything else. And the three characters character arcs that I follow in the in the kindred are a U.S. marshal uh, and uh, a Serbian police detective and a, and a paramedic. And he's, you know, he has pursued Azazel through the sand, across the sands of time and is still working at, uh, at uh, banishing him. But um, that's, that's how that started. And the next book is in the hopper and it'll be out by Christmas. And it's Azazel's backstory. Uh, I'm thinking of subtitling it uh, Sympathy for the Devil because <laughs> he's, He's an evil, evil uh, entity, but it didn't start out that way. Oh, can't wait for that, Jamie. You had to have read this. If you didn't, I haven't, but I'm I'm planning on it. So uh, it's it sounds incredible, and I love the concepts behind it. And um, it just kudos, Kelly. It, that's um, lots of fun. I appreciate it. Hey, I, I've read some of the extreme medical services books. I'm 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 actually quite wounded. 
Yeah, no, I, I and you should be. I, I, I stand here chastised uh, appropriately for not having read some of your stuff um, beyond the, the bit that I have. So I will, I will remedy the problem sor- forthwith. It's okay. It's okay. No, no, really. It's a, hey, the first rule of passive aggressive club is, uh, you know what? Never mind. No big deal. <laughs> Well, there, there's no keeping up with Jamie anyway. How many do you have out now, Jamie? I am. No, the Kickstarter campaign is books 50 or 48, 49, and 50. So. And I remember when yeah, he first, first told well me he was going to. <laughs> I remember the night or the day we were driving to the airport from Vegas or someplace, and they told me he was going to write a novel. I said, You what? <laughs> And, oh, man, once he got started, he didn't slow down. But look, look into the world of your EMS stuff, um, Kelly. You've done a number of um, anthologies, including Perspectives, mm-hmm. an emergency medicine and public safety anthology. Tell us about those. Well, Perspectives, once again, started started on my blog back in the, in the heyday of EMS blogging when my, my blog was getting several thousand hits a day. I started a, someone mentioned, he said, you know, have you ever noticed how on a typical ambulance call, everyone has a different perspective of how it went down? You'll hear someone describe the scene or describe the call, and it bears no resemblance to your perspective on it. And I got to to thinking, I was like, you know, we all approach these scenes and these calls from our own unique perspective. Uh, How fun would it be if we all wrote about the same call from three different perspectives. So I started a collaborative writing project between myself and a couple of uh, law enforcement friends, Law Dog, uh, Ian McMurtry being one of them, and my girlfriend at the time, Barbara Jackson, who was an ER nurse. And the assignment was, we're gonna write about the same patient from each one of our unique perspectives, the same call, the same patient. Um, And as the saying goes, uh, it's a, uh, it's the same patient on the same night at the same time, and uh, working with these people is the reason we do this. Um, and and that was extremely popular back in the day. It was it went viral before viral was really a, a word in the lexicon. Uh, spawned a, uh, a bunch of backlinks and at least one public service uh, PSA uh, in California, I believe, based on on the drunk driving scenario and. And I had always wanted to do more of them, but I never could find the right collaborators. Uh, and when I start, when I made the decision I was going to try to transition to a writing career and make that my sunset career, I decided it was time to dust perspectives off the, uh, take it off the back burner and and uh, leverage my social media friends network and see if I can get some more collaborators. And man, these guys knocked it out of the park. I am so so proud of of the guys that contributed. I had doctors, nurses, uh, dispatchers, and, and paramedics all uh, contribute to this thing, and and it was less work than I thought it would be being the editor compiling this anthology uh, because they none of them or very few of them. There are a few of them who are writers. Uh, I had Michael Lieutenant Michael Morse uh, from the Rescuing Block Providence blog and his his multiple books, uh, contribute one, uh, and a couple of other people have written before, but 
the rest of them are just just uh, EMTs, nurses, paramedics, and cops. And and they said, well, how are we all going to write about the same patient? Uh, we we obviously didn't work the same call. And I said, no, you don't understand. You've worked. You haven't worked the same call, but you've worked that kind of call. And the, the story is not the patient itself. The, the patient is the vehicle to tell the story. What I want is a human story of how working this call affected you. So one of the, one of the uh, collaborators would come up with the, the base call, and then they would all kind of write about that composite patient from their own perspective. And then when they'd hand their, their three stories into me, I would do a, a little light structural editing. Actually, it required very little structural editing uh, and um, make sure that the stories kind of dovetailed seamlessly and, and all fit together well. And we published them uh, as two volumes of perspectives. And uh, my main uh, direction to, to all of the collaborators was keep it real. Keep it real. Uh, I don't want anything sugar-coated. If, if it made you cry, if it made you contemplate suicide, if it made you elated, whatever, I want real human emotions. Uh, and I gave them Hemingway's advice on good writing. Uh, good writing is easy. You just sit at the typewriter and bleed. And that's what they did. And I'm, I'm so proud of those guys. I wish, I wish that book sold more than it did uh, because they all deserve to uh, be wiping their rear ends with $50 bills. Um, I knew it would be a labor of love, uh, uh, and, and little more than that, but they, they all did a stellar job at, at writing perspectives. Well, you know, it probably was cathartic to, to do it that way. Oh, um, yes, indeed. We know that cops and paramedics and dispatchers all see things from a different perspective, obviously, yeah. because that's their job. That's fascinating. I definitely have to read those. Dan, you have any thoughts? You guys are kind of sitting there listening. Yeah, I, I wanted to. Well, first of all, I, I find this fascinating. It's really, really interesting background and the things you've done, Kelly, from a, you know, sort of two, I, I would say, very different areas uh, and careers. Sort of like Jamie, I was just interested. One, what are you going to be teaching at the at uh, at the the university in Potsdam, and then what um, sort of how did you get into the whole idea of being an author and writing? Is that something you've been doing since you were like a kid or did you get into that later? And how did you sort of start that many years ago? Well, I've, I've always pretty much been an honest but and hardworking and uh, honest and hardworking paramedic and with, with little uh, um, pretension to be anything more. Uh, but I discovered that I had a, a talent for writing uh, probably 20 years ago. Um, I was lucky enough in my EMS career to have some some mentors who who uh, were very influential in, in getting me um, opportunities to speak at various EMS conferences. Among them, Brian Bledsoe uh, and and Lou Jordan, who was a, a legend in emergency medical services. And and in socializing with those guys, I'd always, you know, we get around and we drink beer and eat dinner and tell stories. And and uh, I'm a storyteller, a troubadour at heart. Uh, and they they love my stories, my my storytelling and conversational style. So, um, Brian got me got me writing or got me speaking. And then when EMS One, uh, the website started, he, uh, I was one of their first columnists. Uh, he said, you know, you should you should submit some writing samples to uh, uh, to Chris Call and. 
that's how I got started. I was a, a technical writer and, and columnist and opinion writer on emergency medical services topics. Um, and that was that was my beginning. And I went back to school early on in, uh, dude, this was, this would have been the late nineties, uh, to, to get my degree and I needed an easy A. So I took an English comp course, uh, that I already had credit for through, for my ACT scores. I just needed something to pad my, my GPA a little bit. And we had to write a diagnostic essay the first night of class. And I wrote my diagnostic essay uh, on whatever the, the topic was that she assigned. And the next day in class, she handed it to me and she said, uh, what the hell are you doing wasting your time in my class? <laughs> Come see me after class. So I went saw her after class. She said, you're not going to get anything from this class. But if you want an A, stay in the class and I will put you to work writing something uh, that is suited to your talents, and and you can you can go with that. She marched me down to the faculty advisor's office for the university newspaper and said, uh, told the faculty advisor, put him to work, let him write whatever he wants, give him a byline, and turn him loose. And I spent the next two years writing humor columns and making fun of my professors. Uh, uh, it all got to be a, a status symbol who would get lampooned in one of my columns next. Uh, but the most uh, the best advice I ever got as a writer is my my freshman comp professor uh, in the late 90s, Dr. Susan Lejeune. She said, trust your voice. Don't try to sound like anybody else. You, you're, you've got a unique voice and unique vision. You need to honor it. Um, and don't worry so much about the conventions of writing. The better you are at writing, the more rules you can flaunt. So that has been pretty much my motto uh, ever since. Uh, and and I I kind of started to to uh, inject a little humor uh, and a little bit of uh, um, uh, triumph and tragedy and, and a little bit of emotion into my uh, my technical columns and writings and uh, and that that's kind of what got me started and the books started with a breakup I came I was like uh, many people in EMS where you have no personal life and you you uh, your entire identity is wrapped up in your career to the extent that you neglect your personal life. And I came home from a class and found half my stuff gone and a Dear Kelly note written and laying on the coffee table. Uh, in the ensuing weeks uh, to, to keep my sanity, I pulled out my laptop sitting on a, at an ambulance post in the middle of the night and started writing. And after about two weeks, my partner pestered me to, uh, to read what I had been writing and she read five or six stories and said, this is good. You should try to get this published. And it, and it all kind of started from there. Well, that was a good way to do it. I'm going to go to yeah. Jamie, but I want to check with Becky because we haven't given her a chance to add anything. Yeah, and, and I know the the second half of Dan's question was what you uh, what what did you what are you teaching up in New York? But I just wanted to just oh, yeah. chime in that um, that's just the best advice I've similar to the best advice I've gotten about trust my voice and write the Jamie Davis book. Don't write anybody else's book. So exactly. you know, it's right on target. Exactly. And you, and you read a Jamie Davis book and you know, within just a, a few pages that you're reading a Jamie Davis book. Uh, um, I, I felt that way after reading the, the second or third uh, extreme medical services books you wrote. Um, I was like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's got a strong voice. 
But uh, in answer to the question of what I'm going to be doing at Clarkson, uh, I've uh, uh, I've agreed to become the lead instructor for their new paramedic program. So I get the opportunity to uh, to be the primary teacher in, in a uh, paramedic program at a private uh, university uh, that is dedicated to bringing EMS education to rural and underserved communities uh, and get the opportunity to help build a program from the ground up because this year, this November, we will start our very first cohort uh, in their paramedic education program. So it's an offer I really couldn't refuse, even though the uh, the gun laws in New York are, are decidedly antithetical <laughs> to my personal beliefs. Uh, I have to find someone who can who can give my uh, my pistols a good home until I can get uh, the requisite permits. <laughs> Becky, any thoughts from you? Well, so I have pipe dreams of writing a children's book someday. So this has all been very interesting. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if, you know, as you were starting out your writing journey, how did you... How, did you look at a lot of the books and the genre? I mean, you've written a lot of genres, obviously, but did you look at, was there benchmarking done, I guess is the question. Did you look at the way other people wrote, what was already out there, or did you just go for it in your own style and kind of go from there? I, to a certain extent, um, I I kind of, uh, I didn't copy anyone else's style. It's It's like a, like the advice Jamie and I have gotten, trust your own voice. Uh, but there were people that stood out uh, very well as being very evocative and, and very fluid writers. Uh, probably the first EMS memoir I, I read was Paramedic by Peter Canning. Uh, and Peter was a uh, political consultant and a speechwriter for, for Connecticut Governor Lowell Weicker uh, back during his terms as governor. So and and I believe a, a, a literature or a, a writing major or something along those lines, a liberal arts major in college, and uh, he uh, he writes very very well. So I, I could he was kind of the benchmark for for an EMS memoir because the uh, the rest of the stuff you see in this particular genre is a bunch of guys who. Uh, they they vacillate between no no crap there I was you know first in unit on the busload of hemophiliac Jehovah's Witnesses that crashed into the plate glass factory and me with nothing but a box of four by fours and an expired tube of neosporin and, uh, and it's just this this war story that sugarcoats and here and 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 uh, um, uh, makes paints uh, all EMTs as heroes. And I didn't like that. It wasn't realistic. It was self-aggrandizing, and, and it just kind of turned me off. And Peter was the one that wrote a human story. Uh, and I really, really liked that. That kind of spoke to me. Although his, his and my voice are, are not very similar, uh, he, he, doesn't, uh, he, he writes the story of EMS warts and all. And the other writer that kind of influenced me after I started writing and wrote my first book was uh, discovering Michael Morse. Uh, Michael, uh, Captain Morse, does a, a very good job uh, at, at uh, writing an evocative story with very little fluff. There's, I mean, he his prose is so spare uh, and so lean that uh, he can paint a, a beautiful picture 
with the minimum amount of, amount of words necessary. Uh, and it's just a, a very uh, clean economy of writing, I guess you'd call it, uh, that uh, uh, I admire quite a bit. Uh, I tend to get a little more florid than he does, but man, he can paint a, he can paint a, a vivid picture of a particular call and, and, and uh, elicit emotions from the reader with just a few words. And uh, that's, that's a, a unique talent that you don't see in, in many authors. So if I had to say two people that influenced me, it's, it's both of those. So, so Kelly, if I send you a couple of my books, will you read them? <laughs> I'm well, feeling, left, feeling left out here. Heck yeah. You send yeah. them to me, I'll read them. I'll review them on Amazon. You know, and I, you know oh, how the writers love- are. We, yeah. we crave public adulation and, and feedback and, and Amazon reviews. Heck yeah, I'll That's read right. Well, I appreciate that. Just one more I want to ask you about before we get to your, your current ones. You wrote a, you were part of an anthology called But Not Broken, and I'm intrigued with that. Um, and I know this is something that will intrigue Becky. Hope and Healing, and that I picked up book two, but I assume there's a book one. Yeah. Um, yes, but not broken was the second in a series of uh, anthologies about PTSD and complex PTSD. The first one was called "You Can't Go Home Again," and it's mostly written from the military and law enforcement perspective uh, of PTSD sufferers. Sufferers, excuse me. And it was uh, uh, and compiled uh, by my cover artist Cedar Sanderson, uh, who's her her. Uh, she publishes under Sanderly Studios, and she's uh, she's a novelist with a, a great talent for graphic arts. So she has designed pretty much all my short story covers and the, and the cover of Kindred. Um, and she let me know about this anthology, and she said she wanted uh, she wanted a uh, some some PTSD stories with uh, an undercurrent of hope. Uh, so I I wrote a, a story for her and it's it's pretty much autobiographical. It's it's a you know my story of of burnout and PTSD and rejuvenation and and that sort of thing called gravestones. And the whole thing behind gravestones is uh, the conceit is that every good medic or every conscientious caregiver or medic or nurse whoever uh, has the things that bother us are not the bad calls. Uh, the blood or the gore, you're much too busy working to, to notice those things. Uh, the things that bother us and stick with us are the ones that we blame ourselves for a bad outcome, that we are our own worst critics uh, and and uh, the ones where we thought we failed someone or could do better. Uh, and and those those stick with you even if it wasn't a particularly graphic uh, graphic call. And I say, you know, every every EMT or nurse or doctor or whatever has their own psychic graveyard uh, in their head, and the names on all the tombstones are the people that you thought you failed. And um, you will never get rid of those tombstones, but if you want to heal, you can at least make friends with the ghosts. And that's what gravestones is about: is learning to make friends with the ghosts. Uh, wow. And. Uh, I, I like that one as well. So um, there were some great stories in that, far uh, uh, some better ones than mine in there, uh, and I'm proud to have been in that, that anthology as well. Well, you're going to find a lot of PTSD in my first book, especially because 
I knew people that were going through that, and I have to include myself in that, even though it isn't about me. There's a little yeah. bit of me in there, but you know, Jamie in the sidebar put "Amen, brother," and I gotta, I gotta second that myself. But let's get into the the, the last two. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and, uh, to to interrupt you a bit, Sam. You know, you said that. Uh, um, something you, you, you said kind of sparked a, a memory. I never thought of myself as being a PTSD sufferer. I never had, I had very few calls that I had nightmares over triggering events as, as people would call them. I never considered myself the PTSD type until my girlfriend and I were watching justified on, on the uh, TV. We were binge watching justified. And there's a scene in there where Raylan's ex-wife says, uh, um, Raylan, you hide it well, but you're the angriest man I know. <laughs> and I kind of laughed and glanced at my girlfriend, and she's just looking at me strangely. And I said, what? She said, that, that's you. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're the angriest man I know. You, you used to not be that way, but you're, you're mad all the time, and it doesn't take much. And that's when I first kind of had an inkling that, man, maybe I've got something going on that I'm unaware of. And, uh, and uh, that that kind of helped. Uh, it was a bit of an epiphany in, in getting some help and, and seeing a therapist and, and trying to resolve those issues. Well, that's the interesting thing because for me, going to Ground Zero was a no-brainer. I mean, we we all yeah. walked away with that. But when you're looking at your career, however many years that may be, and all those various calls, you don't pinpoint it on one particular call or yeah. one one issue. And it's you know you don't realize that it's it's eating you. You know, EMS eats you for dinner, and you don't even see it. Other people yeah. see it, but you don't. You know, we need to do a whole podcast, Jamie, on on that topic and include Kelly because we haven't talked about that stuff for a while. But I want to get to your the last two, which is the reason we're here. The first one I ever saw you do was En Route, a paramedic story of life, death, and everything in between. And you have a second one of those coming out. So I got to yeah. hear about that. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. It, it, the En Route was, was the story I was the, the book I wrote sitting in the passenger seat of the ambulance after my wife left me. Uh, I, I came home, I read that note, and I, I read. Uh, you know, uh, a woman that I loved uh, telling me things that she couldn't tell me in person, that she she didn't feel like she was a wife and a friend and a lover anymore. She was a roommate, and, and I wasn't emotionally available and, and wouldn't open up to her, and she couldn't live with that anymore. And it just it shook me to my core. Uh, and I, I realized all those things about myself too damn late. So I... To, to kind of keep my sanity because it was a it was a really really dark time. Um, I tried very hard to be a drunk. I tried very hard to be a murderer. <laughs> I I hid in a sniper hide outside my uh, soon to be ex wife's uh, boyfriend's house uh, because I found out that she had been with him uh, cheating on on me with him, uh, and he was a, a former ENT student of mine. So. To, to get all those dark thoughts out of my head, I wanted to write uh, about a time when I thought I had it together and I knew all the answers and, and uh, I was good at what I did. 
so I wrote about the first 10 extremely cocky years of my EMT career when I was God's gift to emergency medical services. <laughs> and I, I started with one story, and that reminded me of another, and then another, and then another, and pretty soon, you know, it became a it became a book. And uh, the the big uh, it, it got published by uh, a subsidiary, Prentice Hall, uh, Kaplan Publishers, and um, probably the the biggest critiques of that book were, uh, boy, this guy is cocky, uh, and it seems like there are pieces of it missing. Well, the missing pieces were restored when I got the rights back because Kaplan felt that it was uh, some of the stories were were too dark uh, for inclusion in the book, and that was kind of part of the narrative thread that that connected all those those chapters. So I restored those. Um, and people have been clamoring for the second volume of the book, and, and I intended to, to write it, and I finally got around to doing it. So it's called On Scene, and it is the second 10 years of my EMS career. I'm a little older, a little wiser, much less cocky, uh, and the, the focus has shifted from, hey, let me tell you about this cool EMS call that I did, to, uh, hey, let me tell you about these cool people I work with and the relationships I made and the, the patients that, that affected me and, and that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's as much a, a, a collection of EMS tales as it is um, uh, my personal growth and, and narrative and, and how I matured as a man and an EMS provider. So uh, I'm hoping that people like that. and It's going to be ready to go uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, do you find in your writing, and I know we're running over, but I can't help myself, sort of a, a lessons learned to new people in EMS, not to do what we've done that probably wasn't too cool, and, you know, how to look out for PTSD and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I think we do it without even thinking about it, because yeah. we... You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I think it's a bit of a cautionary tale as well. Uh, and there are some stories in there where, you know, I'm, I'm telling this, telling this, this story of a horrific call from more of a, a world weary perspective. Um, you know, the, the, there's a line in there that, you know, um, uh, the hardest part about losing your soul is remembering a time that you had one. And uh, and that was kind of my perspective in, in the latter part of my EMS career is is uh, wondering where that guy who, who got joy from from these calls and, and uh, didn't let it emotionally affect him, uh, wondering where that guy went, where the idealistic person went. Uh, and 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 missing that person, you know, I wish I could be that idealistic person or that person who had uh, more empathy than than I think I have now. Uh, so, yeah, that was there. There's a, a lot of cautionary tale in it. Um, and I like to hope to, that uh, the the story as it progresses shows some of my growth and, and how to find some some rejuvenation and, and find some uh some hope and healing and a little restoration of my, uh, uh, of my enthusiasm and idealism, uh, as the, the story winds on. 
I'm glad you were able to look inside and, and share that with everybody else. I, you know, I think you and Jamie ought to write a book together. What do you think, Jamie? That would be a very interesting story, I have a feeling. Between Kelly's quirky sense of humor and, and, and my, uh, my uh, sensibilities, I think we would, we would come up against some, some interesting challenges. What do you think, Kelly? Yeah, I, I, I'm all for it, man. I, we, we, could, we could collaborate on an EMS book, co-author an EMS book, or, or you can come play in the Cecil the Combat Wombat universe. That might the be Battle fun. Battle of Waffle House universe um, uh, as much as you want. So, yeah, I, let's do I that. see the two of you doing the, the wombat books or something. But if you die, do something more EMS, maybe you can throw me in. I'm not much into wombats. <laughs> rock, rock on, Sam. Yeah, look, there will be there will be a third volume of perspectives. And, oh. and I'll, uh, if you would like to sub- collaborate on a story in the third volume of perspectives, this one is going to be more chicken soup for the for the paramedic soul kind of thing. It, I want perspective stories that are, uh, are uplifting and, and hopeful with happy endings. Uh, the problem, the problem has been is I can't write I can't compile an entire anthology of field deliveries of babies. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's everybody's uplifting. Oh, story. Hell I can't no. tell, uh, <laughs> 20 field delivery stories. No, that, that won't happen here. Yeah. I'll think about that. Well, I hate to close this out. This has been so much fun. I ran way over, but I don't care because it was worth it. But, uh, Jamie, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, and it's it's been uh, just great listening to Kelly and chatting with him again. Um, Kelly, you're always you're always a lot of fun, and you're always welcome back on the show. Maybe we can have you on to um, talk a little bit after you've gotten your feet under you up in New York, but to have you on to discuss uh, the challenges around building a program like that from the ground up and, and what it means for the future of EMS to have degree programs and things like that. So I'd, I'd love to bring you on and go that direction next time. Yeah, most definitely. I, I look forward to doing that. And guys, thank you for having me. And, and uh, I hate that I've, I've been so long-winded and, and, and haven't given the, the rest of your guests a, a room to get a word in edgewise, but... Uh, you know me, you get me talking, I won't shut up. No, it's well, they're okay. Part of, they're part of the team, so they're used to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kelly, where can folks find you if they want to reach out and find out what you're up to? Uh, is there a central location where you're um, found anymore? Um, you can find me at uh, ambulancedriverfiles.com, my blog. And I've, I've started, I've gone back to updating that and publishing new, uh, putting new updates and posts on the blog. Or you can Google me. You can find my Amazon author page, Stephen Kelly Grayson, um, uh, or or just do a web search, and, and it'll it'll there'll be multiple hits. Uh, beware, I'm not Adrian Palicki, uh, the the first officer on the USS Orville. Um, I'm the other Kelly Grayson that's less photogenic. <laughs> other than that, other than that, you I don't can know find about me that. Online at a number of places. Excellent, fantastic. Um, before we get into everybody else, I do want to remind everybody to thank uh, Joe Holly and the rest of the gang at Paragon Medical Education Group for their continued support of the Disaster Podcast. You know, we, we're coming up on our 10th year here, and we couldn't have done that without their ongoing support to help us keep this podcast alive. So um, definitely go visit them at paragonmedicalgroup.com. They provide amazing and diverse, customized educational programs for 
various parts of the responder community and, and you can check in with them to find out exactly how they can customize something just for you. Um, we'll um, go ahead and check out here with uh, Dan. Uh, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WXDepot, D-E-P-O, and uh, also the, in the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. And Becky, I've, um, I've got all the links for everything that Kelly talked about, especially the stuff on PTSD. I know that's near and dear to your heart. Um, so we'll have that in the show notes. But uh, in the meantime, where can folks find you? Yeah, excellent. I have some uh, new reading material to add to my list. Um, I'm over on the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. And most recently, I'm checking out Threads uh, at WXBEX. So not really posting a whole lot any, anywhere, but those are where you can find me. Excellent. And Sam? All those places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. And uh, you'll probably find me here reading all of those books. So thank you, Kelly. This was a real treat. It has been a a unique pleasure, guys. Uh, It's like old home week. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) It certainly is. Well, I guess trying to come up with a tagline for this one is difficult, but... You know, what What I get from you, Kelly, is the fact that you were able to take a lot of bad, dark situations in your life and and share them and, and, and write in a cathartic way and, and, you know, share these with people that probably need to hear them. So thanks for that. Well, thank you, Sam.